Welcome back. You're listening to another episode of The Todd Donald Show, a weekly podcast where artists and performers go to chat about nothing. Hosted by Canadian singer-songwriter Todd Donald. Just seeing how this goes, I'm going to start this episode off with a song. This is Citywide Panic from the Johnny's Garage EP. This is High Hopes. Ready to dive right in? Yeah, fuck. You know me, I'm an open bug. 
I would call this piece on on I would call this a piece on existentialism, paired by a very Sunday vibes rant about horror flicks. And it's a snapshot in time. And I really want to thank Brittany for being open about her struggles. And it's possible or likely that at this very moment, she's in a better and better place. So please join me in a little hangout recorded a couple of weeks back and sip some coffee with me and my guest, stand-up comedian Brittany Pyatt. Have you ever seen me going down like a rabbit hole? You're going to have to come just snap me out of it. That's the ADHD talking. Well, see, I'm, I'm terrible at hosting. I'm good at reacting. That is actually in comedy. That's a great part of hosting. That is a part of hosting. You have your headliner. You have your comics doing their stuff. You as a host, you have like 10 minutes to do whatever you need to do. And then you bring out your guests any way you'd like. Like sometimes I'd be like, oh, the first time I saw this guy was like years ago performing at this show. Yeah. He's done this and this and this. He runs this show now. Like bring it up. Five minutes goes by. You riff off something that they said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's completely what hosting is. Did you ever get into mystery science theater? No. It's not common knowledge. It was like at the beginning well, of MTV. Didn't they like revamp it on Netflix? They did. And that's that's how I discovered one of my favorite people in, in comedy showbiz, Jonah Ray. And Joel Hodgson started it in the 80s on MTV. And the whole thing of the show is just riffing on bad movies. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, well, then I would fucking love that. Let's go on a half hour tangent on like, honestly, God, like me with my horror movies. I went on a half hour tangent about how Leatherface is my favorite. But like if he got the proper care and medication that he wouldn't have like did all the murders and how I really just sympathize with him because he was just very misunderstood. Right. And I went on a half hour tangent and I was like, yo, if Mythbusters were still around, put me on that show because I just busted a myth. <laughs> and then people at work just look at me weird because I went on a tangent like that at work. What's the one? Did somebody just turned on stars because you've been served a burn notice. That's from Community. So the I just love going like you are the weakest link goodbye or you have now been chopped. Right. I just say like the final the farewells from all like game shows to people. Right. Like you have if people have voted you are now free to get off the island. Get the fuck out of my face basically. You find yourself Sachet away. Sachet. <laughs> Some of the references I might not get. I got the ones. There's a lot of new TV shows that I don't know. I just found out about Mike Tyson mysteries. And I'm all oh, up on that. Oh, it's Mike Tyson Mithrys. Right. <laughs> the genesis of this conversation happening between Brittany Pyatt and I, whose name I didn't say right in a tip. That's to just going to bug you for like life, isn't it? I, I latch on to like the tiniest little thing like David Letterman and I will pepper it throughout the rest of the Of day. course. Yeah. On Saturday Night Live in the 90s, Norm MacDonald did David Letterman. Mm -hmm. And David Letterman's story was a guy on the street asking him, you got any gum? And like he would just interrupt people with like a, hey, uh, who is this band leader guy? Hey, band leader, hey, you got any gum? And like he would just stare. It wasn't funny, but that was the joke. Oh my god! Classic. Yeah, it's called, it's called running it to the ground. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's like this sweet spot after you do something that's not funny, but you keep doing it. That's the golden point for a lot of a lot of my favorite comedians. Just like, why are you still doing it? It's like, well, why not? Yeah. I can. I'm not really a part of that world. I, I, I'm obsessed with comedy. I'm a comedy nerd. And the genesis of us meeting and chatting and this ultimately happening was, well, first of all, Facebook has this really annoying piece of shit move that they do. Let's algorithmically 
pair people up with who they have a lot of mutual friends with and bombard them with the feed of people you may know. Oh, yeah. Partially the reason why I have like 1,700 friends on Facebook. Because I got drunk and it just be like, okay, I know them. Yeah, sure, I'll add. I don't do it. And I hate when Facebook shows me the same person over and over again. So you were one of like 10 people that I ne- whose name I didn't know how to read, but I saw all the time. Yeah. And I'm like, again, Facebook, I don't know these 10 people. Could mm. you please stop? And then one night at the Rich Uncle, which we were talking about before, yeah. I, I meet you. You're, we're, we're in a group of people, some musician friends, uh, Jay, yeah, and, Jay and Jesse, right? Yeah, yeah. It was at the open mic. And I met you there. I didn't get your name until I got your card and you told me your name out loud. And I, again, I said it wrong. Uh, <laughs> you know, there was this nucleus where you were talking about doing comedy and I'm like, oh, I, I only know music people. Anyone from another world like theater or comedy or visual art. I want my podcast to be a well-rounded experience. Yeah. And this is, you know, during that time, I didn't get out too much. So I'm like, this is a chance to do some networking Try and talk to someone you don't know tonight. And that's how we met. Yeah. Well, I'm a huge like music buff and movie buff. I'm obsessed with the blues, so I, I'm always out listening to music. And I've been doing that since I moved back to the city three years ago. I've just been going to bars. Jesse was the first musician I met three years ago in the yeah. summer when I moved back. And because he was teaching my mom how to play guitar. And that's how I started going to Happy Pappy on Thursdays at the Duke. And that's how everybody just started to know me. And I just started meandering around. But yeah, comedy, that was my big thing for a long time. How far did you take it? How far have you taken it so far? For comedy? Yeah. Uh, I went to college for it when I was 18 back in 2014. I went to Humber because I thought it was a different program. And I thought, yeah, whatever, I'll try it and audition. And I, I got in. I stuck with it and I started doing stand up that way where we all got our start doing stand up that way by doing two minutes at Yuck Yucks in Toronto. Right. And we just learned how to do shows and I started doing about five open mics almost every week leading up to me doing five open mics almost every night in Toronto and I loved it but although my I wasn't the best at writing stand up at that time and I don't think I've actually written new stand-up material since 2017 right. and i've just been like hashing off the old stuff because unfortunately the way i talk about it and i talk about relationships dating what it's like being a single girl living on her own doing all this stuff and i just it's all mostly self-deprecation in a hilarious way where i actually don't care right. so it's easy to hash off the stuff that i wrote back in 2017 because guess what i'm still the single girl who is still struggling with dating and unfortunately dating is still evolving into this world of crap i interrupt this podcast to play you a tune this tune is the lovely la la love by the lovely jesse t it's one of my favorite songs on her album reckless heart and i hope to get jt back on the show soon here it is This secret for too long Ooh, it's burning my lips Tingling my tongue It's time for me to jump in head first And I don't care if the water's cold No, no Watch me be bold Just shut your mouth Baby It's my turn to talk right now la 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 la
care if I said these words too soon to you. It's time to make my move. Here's me confessing to you in song. Hear my confession, baby. Won't you sing along? popular time for individuality you oh, ha- you uh, have being be- individual will get you hated trust me i'm living that right now isn't is it an age group thing shit should i know i i would hope so you can look forward to like all the shit that doesn't matter won't matter to well, i'm sorry to learn that now well the internet sort of keeps us all locked into the, the oh, poison yeah. realm god i can't tell you how many times i see the guy who broke my heart he told me he had a crush on this girl and i'm friends with that girl too he never liked a single photo of mine on Facebook. And that shouldn't bother me because it's Facebook. It's a like on a photo. Yeah. But what bothered me is because he and I ended our whatever we were early August of this year. And the worst thing ever was he admitted he had a crush on her days before we ended things. And it's the worst part is, is me being at the Duke, being upset about over this because wondering what happened. Noticing that 10 minutes after she posts a selfie... Guess whose name I see on the like list. Right. I'm like, why does this make me feel so shitty? This shouldn't make Wait, me feel Wait, do I get shitty. to guess? No, sorry, you're telling, you're, sorry. No, 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 guess, guess. Why does it I, make no, me feel I, so I, shitty? I, it, was an, it was an intentional interruption. Oh, well, there you go. But for some reason, my, your brain goes, okay, here I am on the internet. I know that they like this person. I see them talking all the time. And then all of a sudden they like their photo and everything. And it's like, I don't understand. It's like humble flirtations through likes. Yeah. It's stupid. And it part of me admits that it hurt. Yeah. It hurt. I hate the internet. I hate it. I got two gripes with the whole the isms of finding identity. I, I admit I was, I was at a state in my life one night 
one night at one point in my life, which lasted several years and not just, it all felt like one night or every one night felt like years. First of all, I don't feel like this ever happened, but people, especially today, don't approach human beings in dating the way we do in friendship. Yeah. The whole idealization of men and women becoming friends. I get that. I get that how... No, you can't really become friends because every guy wants to sleep with the girl that they're friends with. and like, like It's a stigma. It's a stereotype. It can be all the thing. But then I realized that a lot of my male friends, oh, we've been like friends for three years or so. When I think back to three years ago, well, they initially... That was my phone. Sorry. Yeah. At least I put mine on vibrate. So you're <laughs> welcome. Well, I, so back to my thing. Yeah. Initially, these guys did ask me out. Right. They would hit on me and they bought me drinks and they flirted with me. And then I realized that was three years ago and now we've moved past it and became friends. Yeah, yeah. But there's always going to be that underlying, will you at some point had a certain type of feeling for me? So the whole men, women being friends, there's still that thing. Like this guy and I, we started off as friends and now it's trashed. And I am going to be part to blame for this because... Like I told you earlier, that's not recorded or anything, that I was on a leave from work for mental health reasons. And that took the majority of August. And I've been on a mental health leave. I had a nervous breakdown, which I'm very open about explaining to people because it's something that happens to a lot of people, having breakdowns and realizing you need more help. And then we did realize I need more help. I saw a psychiatrist. We're working on getting me the right medication now. But the day I had my extreme nervous breakdown was also the day... He ended things with me through text. Mm. And that was the start of this leap. And then I realized, well, he and I were together for a month and a half. And I had this idealization that it was so much more than what it was. He didn't break my heart. I allowed myself to not recip- or to not explain myself to him enough that I broke my own heart without while being in denial about it. Right. But I did apologize to him. I actually sent him a big apology. I learned that he's never going to apologize to me. He said, I'm sorry for everything. And I said, you know what? What is everything to you, though? Right. So I thought it out. And I wrote this long apology. And I said, I am sorry that I didn't tell you properly. I am sorry that when you stopped giving me this attention that I craved so much, I acted a little irrational and unstable. And then I thanked him. I said, if you didn't treat me the way you did on this day... Right. I would have had my extreme mental breakdown and I wouldn't have realized that I needed more help than I let on. Right. I wouldn't have seen a psychiatrist or go to the hospital or realize that there's something bigger that we're dealing with. Right. Then I actually apologized to a lot of my exes and I said, I'm sorry if I thought we were much more than what we actually were because I'm stupid. And unfortunately, I also partially blame the internet and idolizations of romance for my brain to jump to these conclusions this is why i'm single (laughs) not because he dumped me like and this isn't based on what you just said it's just based on like the common observation that i see yeah and none of these people are to blame no they're they're not they're not of a hive mind they're all individuals saying the same thing that that bothers me because i've done my time as a single person i would definitely say i've spent i mean I've, i've been with katie for now coming up on four years but i spent 90 to 95 percent of the time before that not in a relationship yeah of that other part of my life that 32 years eight eight years single as fuck Mm -hmm. and like the shit the torment 
It's the torment that bothers yeah. me. The torment of the ideas that people have about being in a relationship and being single as being an identity. Mm-hmm. That's the part that bothers me. Someone who is in a relationship for the wrong reasons is now, hey, I'm, I'm Larry's wife. Yeah. Oh, let me ask Larry for everything that you can ask me. Yeah. I can't talk to anyone unless I ask Larry. I'm no one without Larry. And then the person who's single is like single is all that they are. Yeah. I don't have the words. Those words suck. I fucking suck at convalescing my feeling about it. But what is it? Is it the fucking music videos? (laughs) Is it the movies? Why does single have to feel so bad? Why does being in a relationship have to be the exact like this, the exact same pain for some people too. A good chunk of it is biological and everything is stems to one main source. You need to recreate or whatever. And that's the simply biological standpoint of being in a relationship. Now for me, it's just, I end up with the wrong people because I've been unstable for so long. And right now we're working on getting me stable. I completely miss all the red flags. Right. I have, well, what they're thinking I have is borderline personality disorder because when they talk to me and they talk to me about everything that I've gone through from when I was a child to now, everything in my life has been based off of abandonment and rejection and loneliness. That has me to be quick to anger. If I don't know if you've ever seen me lash out at somebody at the bar for absolutely no reason, but I have done that several times. So a big part of that was me quitting drinking as well. So I am officially sober as of now. Right. And uh, that's also why I've been in so many unstable relationships. I was like with the guy who physically abused me. And after that, I was with a guy who didn't want to commit to me, even though I thought we were perfect together. But underneath all of that, I was battling a drug addiction and he provided me with those drugs. Right. I was never sober with him. And then I just ended a relationship with a guy who was emotionally abusive. He called me damaged. He said stuff that really did hurt me. And I stuck it out thinking that he would change. Even though he told me multiple times that if you might as well just break up with me now because this is just who I am, which is a childish thing to say. Right. I want to grow with you, not grow. Like that's the whole point of this. Yeah. And then this guy, it's hard. It's all because like my entire life is built off of rejection, loneliness, and abandonment. For me, being single is what I need right now. Yeah. Now that we put me on different medication, I'm starting to see red flags. And now I gained PTSD from trying to be independent again and going to bars alone again. These are, these are the great ambassadors of men that I have. Fucking guys. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's a huge stigma where I am finally trying to get to myself. And guess what? I am lonely. And I am sad sometimes. When I was drinking, I would go on Tinder a lot. It's not like I don't have Tinder now, but I re-downloaded it after these guys left me because I needed... A video game? I needed somebody to talk to, to flirt with. Right. Because I felt rejected. And so now that I quit drinking, I don't use Tinder. I do talk to some people on Tinder, but I don't really use it the way I used to. I went to Rhapsody on Friday for Romeo Sex Fighter, and that marked day six of no alcohol in my system. And I was in the middle of the dance floor with my club soda, dancing up a storm, not caring what I looked like, and I had an actual genuine smile on my face. And so many people I saw gave me a hug and asked said I looked different and I said what do you mean I have my hair in a ponytail like I usually do I have my makeup on the way I usually do she goes no you're happy and I looked around and I just saw these people 
these late girls drinking is just standing there with their eyes darting at all the guys. Oh my God. When I drink, I'm so sad because I'm alone. When I'm not drinking, here I am, happy as ever, listening to the music and just dancing. This is one of the most powerful entertainers I have ever seen or heard, bar none, anywhere, slaying the shit out of some funk. Here's Mike Todd from the album Good Man. The song is called Feeding You.
understand. We should talk about pop culture a little bit too, but I. <laughs> oh, pop culture! I'm like the fan of. Yeah. By the way, good on you for dealing with it in a month like August. Like anyone can. That take was my met- birthday month too. Anyone it's- could do that in fucking January. You did well, it in August. I. It's like I had no choice. No, in a yeah. sense, I didn't have a choice, and we thought I was better. And I went to work, and full disclosure, like I had the biggest panic attack ever, and. No reason whatsoever. I had good calls because I work at a call center. No one was yelling at me. I was in a great mood and then it just plummeted and I got angry, hence the quickest anger. And I was so angry about how my mind is like this and nobody else's is. And, and I had a, I had to call my doctor. They had to make an emergency appointment for right. me. Right. And then we put me back on leave and then we got me to a psychiatrist. But again, some people it takes three months for them to admit they need help. It took me a week to realize I needed help and to go to the hospital and to talk to somebody. Thank God for August, right? <laughs> Should have done this in January. New Year's resolution. Get help. <laughs> We're all on our own journey and other cliches, but the the most important being of which any mo- most of what we do in life is think about the worst thing that can happen and always we're always just praying for that not to happen. I'm driving. I hope I don't get hit. Like, why the fuck are you doing that while you're driving? Get where you need to go. Oh, I'm walking through the mall. I hope I don't get mauled by a tiger. Well, when the fuck does that happen? It never happens. I was actually telling that to my friend. She had like an emotionally exhausting day yesterday. I was checking in on her today. She said, I played it out of my mind so much worse than it actually is. And I think I replied to her saying, well, that's what our mind does. Mm -hmm. It gives us the worst possible scenario so that we can be prepared for it. But you're never going to be prepared for it. You're never going to be prepared for the answers that they give you. Well, there, there is some preparation you could do. For instance, I'm an egomaniac. We all are in some way. And the fucking thing that gets me through every moment where I should be afraid of something. And we, I am still afraid of it. Yeah. I'm not so special that anything that could happen to me hasn't happened to a million people already. Yeah. It's already happened. Sorry. It's all good. No, I get what you're trying to say. Yeah. Everything, like, because of my whole manic depressive episode, when I don't still see him, even now after I'm on new medication, I still get that feeling, but it's not as severe as it used to be. And it's just kind of nice to know that what I'm feeling now is just normal human being feelings of heartbreak. And you know what? Friendship, romantic relationship, a family member, any relationship ending, it's a loss. And I guess I'm still in that grieving period of loss. Yeah. And unfortunately, I wish I could admit that I was in a grieving period longer from when my grandmother died. But when my grandmother passed away, God, it was hard, but I knew she left us. And it's kind of hard when it's in a relationship because you still have that feeling of loss, but they're still around. Like you still have to go through the inevitable when you see them for the first time, like all this stuff. And then that's when those feelings rush up again. And now here we are like a year later. I saw the one guy that I claimed was my first heartbreak. A year later, I finally saw him and I didn't have those feelings anymore. Yeah. And I just was like, Oh God, I don't feel anything towards you anymore. Like if you called me like three months ago or four months ago and he messaged me, I would have like fallen right back into him. 
but it's a loss. You got to get through those five stages of grieving. It's like it's a loss or it's it's an awareness of absence. Yeah. I got more pillows on my bed. I got a third cat. Like I was doing something to make sure that when I wake up, that side had something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as an optimist, I think you'll be fine. As as me, I hope you'll be fine. Uh, as a realist, I know I'll be fine. <laughs> we figured out life. Good. <laughs> well, we've had fun. Just take <laughs> all of your exes and think of them as blobfish. Here's the thing. I've... Comedy seems to please everybody, as as we know. We love comedy, you and I. But mm-hmm. you were talking about horror at one point. Oh yeah, I and love horror movies. It's hard to find. You can't throw a rock and find a person that you're gonna talk to about movies is gonna like horror. Mm-hmm. And I like I love horror movies. I don't love all of them. I don't like it just because it's horror. It's mm-hmm. not pizza to me. But I do like the genre. Would would you agree that like of all the people out there, there there are just some people who just like oh, I can't get behind getting scared. If you talk to somebody who has crippling anxiety problems, nine times out of ten, their favorite genre is going to be horror. My roommate, she and I both suffer from anxiety and depression. We both love horror films. My friend, she suffers from anxiety and depression. She's obsessed with horror films, and there's yeah. been studies about it. And there's been articles oh. written about it about. It. How they're just drawn to horror movies. There are so many ways to love something, right? There are people who love comedy because they hate people and people who, what do you call them? Oh. Misanthropes. Misanthropes. Oh, there you go. Then there's, when it comes to people, I'm like, eh. Yeah. So-so. And then there's people who love people that love comedy. So it's like there's different things for different different strokes, as it were. What's What's the last horror movie that you saw that genuinely scared you? Yeah, I'm trying to think of um, a paranormal one that I watch because I love slasher flicks and those don't really scare me, mm-hmm. but the paranormal ones do. I got to give it to Annabelle Creation. Okay. I I've guess that's the that. most recent one that actually made me go, oh God, because it's the whole popping out and like freaking out about stuff and it's, yeah, no, it's paranormal movies. Paranormal activity to this day still scares the crap out of me. Huh. Just a couple and like the video camera and everything, Blair Witch Project from the '90s, not the newest one. That right. genuinely scared, genuinely scared me. But if I watch like Alien or Texas Chainsaw or anything like that, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah we got it. Well, yeah, like all those are like fun. They're like, yeah, Back to the Future, or Freddy, Freddy versus Jason. Come on, yeah, <laughs> come. That wasn't on. even good at being a bad movie. It was the best at being a bad movie it wasn't like the room the room is a comedy of errors which is why it's the best bad movie ever i I mean i loved it but i'm not saying it's a masterpiece oh kill jason kill for mommy come on yeah and i debunked all these slasher flicks that they all had mental health issues like come on they're all mama's boys mike myers who was the one he didn't kill his mom and the baby right jason why was he killing people because of his mother Forget Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Leatherface was an inbred, and his mom got into his head of nobody loves you like your family, so he ki- he killed for his family yeah. because his mom got into his head. And face it, there's like a whole biological instance of the mama's boy factor where your mom is the one who knows you the most. You could either be straight away from your mom, but like I would say that my mom and I have grown apart. And we've grown closer since the last couple of months because of me going through all of this. 
but I never thought we saw eye to eye. And then I realized she's the only person to this day that knows how to properly calm me down because I'm a very high energy person. So like I think all of these horror films that are all like the most famous slasher flicks and it's debunked because these are all mama's boys. They all have mentally something mentally wrong with them. But in the sense, you know who you turn to when you're sad or when you're sick or when you don't know who else to talk to, you call your mom. And that's what basically these, all these slasher flicks are. Like the, the, the late 20th century boogeyman. Hey, wh- how did we get back onto you? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Again, with my interruptions. While I'm here interrupting anyway, here's a tune from a long distance acquaintance of mine by the name of Christina Stapelfeld, which, who has an amazing self-titled album on Bandcamp that is very, very, very much worth your, your best PWYC investment, but please be generous, okay? I still remember hearing her music on purevolume.com, later adding her on MySpace, and she goes, Excuse me, do I know you? This is Christina Stapelfeld with a song called Hemisphere.
yeah, that, that's very true. Like Dracula, Frankenstein, like that original Hollywood boogeyman thing. Yeah. Those were just folklore and yeah. they, based on history and, and sort of just like out of the cosmos. Yeah. They, they weren't like oh, the ultimate the incels most, or One whatever. of the most common popular horror movies till to this day, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Right. Norman Bates. Yeah. There we go. That's one of the biggest prime examples about a mama's boy. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just debunking everything. I haven't been scared since like I'm leading into the movie that I saw that still I watched it months ago and there are still moments where it's dark out and I think I'm going to see creepy smiling naked cult people. His new movie is Midsummer. Midsummer. Is this the guy who did Hereditary? Hereditary. Oh, then I take back what I said about uh, Annabelle Creation. It's yeah. Hereditary. Yeah. That genuinely scared the living daylights out of me. And I don't think I can ever. It was because I still, to this day, get a certain, like, my brain will just pop into that image in my head of the girl having the anaphylactic shock in the back of the car and her brother is speeding to get to the hospital. Right. All of a sudden, there's a dog and she pulls down the window so that she can get right. air into her mouth and he's going at 210 kilometers an hour yeah. or miles per hour because it's American and, like, the dog is in the middle of the street. He turns the car. There's a post. Daughter's head hits yep. the post. Boom. And then the, it, what was the thing was it that he just drove home, parked the car, and left her headless body in the backseat of the car, and he went to bed. And then you just hear the mom screaming in the morning. Yeah. Screaming. Well, he's in shock. Well, but of course he's in shock. Like, yeah. I'm not going to debug the whole in shock, but it's just yeah. how, like, I mean, in your honest God says, how would you feel? How would you handle that situation? Well, it, He was trying to save his sister, and in the end, he beheaded her. He didn't mean to. Yeah. And by the way, did, didn't it stay on his face immediately after for like 10 minutes? Yeah. They, it stayed on his face of him just in shock as like it's going from nighttime to the daytime. Yeah. And then the whole entire movie is his mom, you know, resenting him. And his mom has mental health issues as well. And right. you learn that. And that's a good movie. The reason why that movie is scary because it does play on real mental health issues as well as occult stuff. Did you hear anything about how like the, the writer was like, it was a family drama that spiraled into a nightmare basically and i could see that like it started off with her mom's funeral yeah her daughter and her mom were very close and she was just an artist and she was dealing with well what's gonna happen and all of a sudden it just spiraled out of control and had like that little twist at the end which i'm not gonna spoil the end and i did i may have apologized if i spoiled the whole beheading thing they stayed on his face and then the entire movie is just the mom and him screaming about the past about how he thought she never loved him because she was dealing with her own right. postpartum depression. It was just very common around women who've had children. Something was, like that. Yeah, like so. Yeah, it was like they family. had a bunch of pent up stuff that. Yeah, that just wouldn't have gotten released if he didn't accidentally kill his sister. Right. So it was all messed up. That movie genuinely scared the living crap out of me. Again, and Veronica. Veronica. It's on Netflix. It's not in English, but there's English subtitles in Spanish. Oh, okay sister takes care of her family because her parents couldn't be bothered summons a demon for school project all that kind of fun stuff i think people are overrating it i just watched it part one on netflix recently i loved it i thought i was very entertained i'm like this is well done good acting Mm -hmm. but it's not amazing and i really want to see the second one i love the movie it i I love it too but i i would say the the hoopla 
It's a bit much. Well, I mean, it's more people who are obsessed with Stephen King and his masterpiece. And I think the hoopla is about the fact that they're finally taking this book and making it its one book. And they're putting it into two parts because they actually want to do the book justice. Whereas it's, the new Pet Cemetery, I will never be able to get through Pet Cemetery. Okay. Like, and then they never just came it. out with a new one. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, I don't know if I want to see it. Yeah. Respect to Stephen King and respect to Stephen King fans. But as far as I'm concerned, as a Stanley Kubrick fan, he can take a flying fuck anytime he wants to put out his negative shot at what Stanley Kubrick did to my book. My thing is, is that somebody compared me to Kathy Bates in Misery once. Because <laughs> like, you always played that song, Moonlight Sonata. Kathy Bates in Misery is just like, oh, because when I went manic and I was like, oh, he's not going to be any attention I need anymore. Let's break his legs with a sledgehammer. Oh. <laughs> like, and I was like, okay, so I'm going manic ways. What am I like? Sorry. Uh, no, I would say let's go El Tango to Roxanne from Moulin Rouge. I love Gypsy Violin. Loved it, loved it, loved it. And I remember having the sheet music for that, but never being good at the violin to make it sound like that. But it's intense. It's full of passion. It's a yeah. bit extreme. Let's, let's say it's that's basically who I am. I'm right. passionate, which You're, makes me intense and a bit extreme. She's the Boz Lerman of people. Let's go with that. Well, no, I like that. I'm Moulin Rouge, baby. <laughs> I cry at the end of that movie all the time. I'm Romeo when and Juliet with guns. No, that's that's the '90s Romeo and Juliet. That's a Baz Luhrmann film. Okay, I was gonna say like the one with Leonardo DiCaprio that I yeah. got through five minutes of and then turned off and was like, nope, and just walked away. It's the same script. <laughs> exactly. I know. Give me some gators if we're gonna put it in like Florida. Right. Okay. Well, we're gonna talk about that more. See, my interviews are not interviews, as you should know, listener, and my chats are often clunky and need uh, a lot of editing so that by the time you're hearing this right now there will be less of me talking than actually happened in the moment but (laughs) uh, thank you for listening there's no conclusion life goes on and do you have a website or thing for people to follow uh laugh tracks comedy is on instagram as laugh tracks comedy and it's on his facebook page and laugh tracks is spelled l-a-f-f-t-r-a-x thanks for being here and taking the time to chat with me of course All right, so from a Thursday afternoon point of view in late September, I'd like to once again thank Brittany Pyatt for her time and her patience in my getting this online. There's a whole minute I had to cut out of me trying to figure out what Chopin's Nocturnes are called, and I'm pretty sure they're just called Nocturnes. So fuck me, right? Anyhow, this was another episode of The Todd Donald Show, hosted, produced, and edited by myself. Voiceover, soon to be updated, by Milo Axelrod. This piano music by singer-songwriter J.P. Sanga. And the theme music is Machiel Kino by William Chernoff. Please tell your friends about this podcast and get the word out. Subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes if you have iTunes. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at, at Todd Donald Show. And remember, Todd has two Ds. We're going to take you out with the opening track of a, and a great track to wake up to. I had this act on my older podcast, and we even had the fortune of recording a companion video together, performing a Beatles cover. Carly and Mark is the name of the act. The album is called New City Morning, and Carly B's voice is nothing short of, of soaring and soothing and comforting. I don't know what the lyrics are about from my memory, but I'm going to play it anyway, and I'm going to say it's, it's like that 
vibe at the end of a like a really happy ending at the end of a movie going into the credits i will capital see you next thursday
Thanks for listening to another episode of The Todd Donald Show. Starring, produced, and edited by Todd Donald. The piano music in the rap is by J.P. Sunga, who you can find at jpsunga.com. The theme music is Mackie Alkino by William Chernoff. Find him at chernoff.band. And I'm Milo Axelrod, Todd's favorite bar none human voice. And I'm not bragging, he wrote this. If you'd like to hear more of my voice, check out my podcast, Describing a Rock in which I describe some rocks. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Please support The Todd Donald Show by sharing it with anyone who might enjoy it. Follow and interact with at Todd Donald Show on Twitter and Instagram. And if you feel like going the extra mile on iTunes, please subscribe, rate, and review, preferably in its favor. Have a great day, friends.